It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, okay. okay then. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. Now, if you were listening to last week's show, we hope you did. Me and John Dinsdale, John Dinsdale, John Dinsdale, sorry John, uh, <laughs> looked at the FMW show, uh, There was a, it was a neatest comeback match show, and it kind of got me thinking, we've missed one, which was the 8th anniversary show, which featured Megumi Kudo versus Sharks this year in a no-holds-barred no barbed wire double-held death match for her retirement, for Megumi Kudo's retirement, and I knew that Chelsea Spollen wanted to do that card because that match was on it. And then I couldn't find that card because it's the only FMW anniversary show that isn't online, which is silly. Yeah. But there you go. I think you can only get it. I think you can only get it if you buy one of the VHS tapes or laser discs on eBay. Our good friends at IVP video or Rudo reels will no doubt sort you out. They're not. (laughs) people and they they pretty much if you can't find it on youtube they've got it in their supply but it doesn't mean an opportunity to welcome back miss chelsea spollen how are you mom i'm doing okay it's nice to be back it's been a while since i've watched this much uh wrestling for a podcast so i'm i'm excited it should be fun so we couldn't find the eighth anniversary show, which is a bummer. But we have got the main event, which we will talk about, because we wanted to do a Megumi Kudo special. We'll call this the Kudo special. Because, uh, we, we really think she's worth a special episode. And we've done it kind of a 50-50. So sometimes we talk about a person's career, and sometimes we do a match card review. We're doing a card review and talking about somebody's career. <laughs> yeah. So we'll start. Yeah, we'll start with the career bit first, and we'll do a bit more later on, because we're going to review the card first, then we're going to talk about some big matches from late in her career, too specifically. Mm. But I'll start with this question. What do you think of when you think of Megumi Kudo, Chelsea? Uh, well, of course, I think of the iconic pink Power Ranger cutout gear and the spectacular feathered bangs. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I think of someone who was just really, really fearless her whole career. There are so many things that she did that watching them, um, I end up watching them through my fingers or screaming at my iPad because uh, she did some really crazy stuff. Um, I also, uh, you know, again, we always end up talking about the fact that, like, she got kicked out of the AJW dojo because she supposedly wasn't on the same technical level as everybody else and had to find her way in FMW. And I, I kind of feel like um, you can see that Yakota style in her whole wrestling career, but also that she does some really interesting, unique things with it. Um, she definitely has that uh, really refined technical ability, but she's also not afraid to just throw down with somebody and brawl with them and use her more diminutive size to her advantage as a baby face when she faces bigger bodied opponents. Um, I totally see why she got marketed in a lot of the promotional materials I found when I was Googling around to look at stuff from her career, I totally see why they marketed her as like both kind of like a hot babe and also as like 
someone that a teenage girl would buy a poster of for her bedroom to look up to. Like she definitely has both of those things. <laughs> yeah. There, there is a kind of like, um, yeah, that teen idol kind of deal, isn't there, going on yeah. with her? There is like, yes, boy wants a poster of her in her pants, and girls want a poster of her because she's cool. Yes, you know? and there's, yeah. and none of it feels manufactured. Like sometimes that, um, that like pop idol quality that some wrestlers have feels very much like a. Like there were some marketing executives that had a meeting with the guy that owns the promotion and polished up a girl who had kind of the right body type. And this doesn't feel like that at all. Pretty much everything she does feels very genuine to her, whether it is or not. I never get that sense that it was like, we tried to scrub up somebody who we thought was cute enough to make her into a sweetheart. You know, it just like it feels it feels like she's very comfortable with that feminine aesthetic in a way that some of her peers who who did similar things were not yes i would agree with that i mean there is a definite influence on there people like ayaki amada who mm. comes along maybe even well yeah just a year or two later and she certainly had that hardcore wrestler appeal and that teen idol appeal you know she was she was equally at home doing a bikini calendar shoot or, you know, having a street fight with the LCO and bleeding everywhere. And she yep. was, she could do both. And I think though, I think she was a strong influence on her and certainly a strong influence on just the idea of what an ace in a Joshi company should look like. You know, there are, yeah. I think, I think people You could like, drop Megumi Kudo into stardom like right now and she would fit right in. You wouldn't have to change anything. No, not at all. I think she's a big influence on those girls, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's um, a lot of people like Dahlia Black have said that so much of an influence they were on her. Dahlia's now retired, but, you know, she she mm-hmm. wanted to be like Megumi Kudo. She wanted to have that aesthetic of danger and the aesthetic of uh, resilience as well as having that kick-ass wrestling ability. You know, she was... Yeah. And, this, this, these matches we're talking about today really show how much she was really, really great. And it didn't, I mean, I watched a bunch of matches. There's a playlist which will stick with the, with the Twitter feeds and the Facebook feeds on, on this of, of matches I watched. I was watched a wrestle by some Kimura and, you know, they're old friends. They wrestled in JD Star, which was the precursor to Arceon, which was the precursor to mm. Stardom. It was Rossi Ogawa's promotion, which was known for its, how can we put this nicely? Uh, wrestlers who were more about aesthetic than actual wrestling but equally yep. Bison Kimura as their kind of lead star and Sumi Sakai came out of there so they did do bad, let's be honest <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, Sumi I mean Sakai, there, were, there were girls uh, there who could wrestle and yeah, Sumi Sakai yeah. is fabulous Yeah, so, and she had this thrilling all over the building brawl with, with Bison Kimura um, equally, she had this technical wonder match with Aja Kong, which we'll talk about in a bit. There is just like, and we watched but the matches we talked about for her own combat versus uh, Yamada and Toyota at the FMW anniversary show. It was just, and at Dream Slam as well, just breathtaking professional wrestling matches of just the highest quality. She could do yeah. everything that you wanted a Joshi to do. She could be the cute girl next door, or she could bleed for dollars. And she did it better than anybody else in her era, I think that kind of, she was Eddie Guerrero really, that kind of pull a promo, do any kind of match you want, wrestle anywhere you want that kind of 
crossover ability and someone's going to give me stick for comparing to Ready Guerrero, but I don't care. She's that good. Yeah, no, anybody who has a problem with that is just being obnoxious. Like, like she very obviously has that kind of versatility that not many wrestlers do where they can just do anything and it's believable and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely great. Right then, well, we're going to look at this match, which was held on the 4th of April 1996, which is a little bit out of our Beginner's Guide timeline, but you'll understand why when we tell you. It was an FMW Yamoto Nedeshiko the third match. Sorry, I'll start again. Yamoto Nedeshiko three night, which was essentially an all-female wrestling night. And FMW did occasionally, quite often in fact, do nights with just the female roster with a little bit of help from their friends. And this was one of those nights. And it pulled 1,500 in, in Osaka Perpetual Gymnasium. You know, this is a big hall, and it did an okay crowd. Um, and mm. it, was a ma- it had loads of big matches on it, uh, no title matches on it, and it was kind of a cross-promotion with Gaia with a bit of JWP. Um, and it was like, you know, it was a good house show, really. And everything FMW yeah. did in a videotape. So we got to see it. What were your overall thoughts when I said, let's do this one, Chelsea? Um, so once I glanced at the card, I was excited because, um, I actually didn't realize that FMW did all women's cards apart from, I think we may have watched part of one for an earlier show. Um, and I feel like, I feel like a really unique women's wrestling is something that FMW has always done really well. Um, so that was exciting. And when I looked at some of the wrestlers on this card, there are some heavy hitters on here. Um, Mima Shimoda is on here and she is one of the, she should be in that conversation for like all time greats in a way that she, I just don't think really gets the appreciation for from uh, English speaking Western fans. And um, Kaoru is on here. Chigusa Nagayo is on here, who is, you know, one of the most successful professional wrestlers of that era of all time. Um, it's, a, it's a really enjoyable card. There, not every match on it is like an all-time classic, but all of it is good and watchable and fun. It's also terrifying about the amount of them that are still <laughs> wrestling. Yes! <laughs> Um, Mima Shimoda's still going, isn't she? And she's yes. like 49 and still looks like a million bucks and yes. doesn't look like she's aged past like 32. And uh, yeah, she was in Korokan last week because she was, uh, <laughs> she's, she's a ballet in, in CML, she's a manager. And her, her charge, Okamura, was uh, wrestling in, in Korokan Hall because uh, she's That's amazing. CML. And she wrestles for Oz Academy in, for occasionally. And uh, who else was there? Um, yeah, Cherko Nagashima is in the second match. She still wrestles for Marvelous. And Chigasaw Nagalio obviously owns Marvelous and still wrestles for Marvelous. And uh, yep. yeah, uh, loads Bolshoi of. Bolshoi Kid is still going, obviously. Commander oh, Bolshoi. She retired last year. Oh, I thought she was still wrestling. Well, still. Oh. I mean, she only retired last year. She had a big, long career. Yeah, and Command Bolshoi looks like she's been cut out of marble and she's like 50 years old. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yes, so let's just start on this match. You start with a rookies match with Misai Watanabe and Aki Kambayashi. It was FMW versus Gaia in the rookie form. Well, this was a bit of a blistering matchup, to be honest with you. It was real back and forth. Um, mm. I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Kambayashi goes on to become Miss Mongol. She was trained by Atsushi Anita. She's still 
wrestling. Of course she is. Wow. <laughs> She's a freelancer. Um, and yeah, she was one of the FMW dojo. Um, and uh, Watanabe is, I think she's retired, but she was a Gaia wrestler. Um, yep. And it, she was a lot of fun to watch, really. And just, it was just, uh, she was AJW to start with. She may have gone on to Gaia at some point, but yeah, she was, uh, it was just fun, wasn't it? It was just a fun back and forth matchup. Yeah. Um, my only thing is, it has that opening rookie match thing that a lot of, uh, a lot of Joshi rookie matches from this time period have of too many push off drop kicks. <laughs> that was <laughs> other than that, other than that, it was a perfectly satisfactory opening match. And um, both of them came off looking really interesting and really fun. So I, I enjoyed it. Yep. Next up was Chekio Nagashima, who now wrestles for Marvelous, the Chigasone and Miguel's company. And she wrestled Mia Saito. In 10 minutes and 32 seconds. And we've seen a lot of Mia Saito. She was essentially uh, Megumi Kudo's second in every important match she ever had up until about six months before this when she decided she'd had enough of playing second fiddle to Megumi Kudo and Joey Mad Dog Wilder became a heel. Um, when FMW closed down and they stopped booking the women's division, actually not long after Kudo retired, Misawa Mia Saito retired and became an evangelical minister. So there you go. As I looked her up on Wikipedia and found out, she's a member. She of the wanted Evangel- something that was the polar opposite of working in professional wrestling, I guess. Yes. There you go. Um, and the good sister had a good match here with Nagashima. Uh, this was, yeah, this was really good, and you could tell that, like, you could Sato was a star. And again, it's yeah. one of those conversations we have. She was outshone by Toyota and Kudo, and was it wasn't really fair. It just wasn't mm-hmm. fair. That she was there at that time, uh, but then again, would she have got as much notoriety if Toyota and K- Toyota and Kudo had gone back to FMW or come out of retirement to wrestle for them? You know, she would probably wouldn't have got anywhere near as much traction. So yeah, it was yeah, it's kind of six one half a dozen the other. And Nagashima is just brilliant and still is brilliant to this day. And I mean, Miwasato is um, she was trained by Tarzan Goto and there are a number of wrestlers who were trained by Tarzan Goto who I don't think of as having anywhere near her uh, her battery of skills like she she has a lot she can draw on you can tell there's a lot of stuff she can do and um, I don't know that everybody who gets trained in that FMW style has that same amount of versatility so she may have been frustrated with her position there, but I, I have to think she benefited from the versatility of the talent she was able to face at the time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how they develop, really, and what's going on with them. And certainly, I mean, Nagashima is still, like, you know, she's still a, a vital part of Marvelous, and she's considered, like, a, you know, the aging matriarchal figure behind Chigasun and Gaia. She's got a lot of miles left in her as a pro wrestler and, and is still a useful mm-hmm. around. And her I, I took a quick look at her um it's not Ame Below, but she has a, a Japanese blog. It's Spora, that's what she uses. She has a blog and um she posts a fair number of of uh blog posts with no photos about all the things that she eats and <laughs> stuff for her her wrestling shows so it's interesting that she because a lot of, a lot of women from that time period don't really have a big internet presence but i don't know i thought it was cool that she still has like fans she keeps in touch with and to leave her comments on stuff when she 
post about going to the farmers market. <laughs> sponsors are still there, you know. They still they still take an interest in you even though after you retired. Yeah. Uh, next up was Bolshoi Kid and Saburo versus when they defeated Chihiro Nakano and Yuki Nabeno in 18 minutes and 8 seconds. This was two very confused FMW rookies. <laughs> Wrestling... Also, who is that Saburo guy? <laughs> I have no idea. I He was Bolshoi Kid's tag partner. He was kind of there to direct traffic. Yeah. And the only... The only shocking thing about this was it lasted 18 minutes, but the crowd seemed to be well happy with it. I don't quite understand what was going on a lot of the time. It's Bolshoi Kid, and it was in her early days, and she was very much into the clown kind of deal. That was what she yeah. did. It, obviously, that will only get you so far, as she discovered, and she changed to Command Bolshoi. And you kind of like don't realize this, but Command Bolshoi or Bolshoi Kid's a badass shoot wrestler as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she can do everything. She's, she's crazy good at any type of wrestling you want to have. Um, but Nabeno and Nakano were pretty good rookies, really. They did what they could with this matchup. And it's kind of really odd. It, it's odd when one person's kind of working one style and the other people are just kind of posting for it and hoping it all works. But it seems yeah. to. I, um, you know, I mean, the crowd liked it. And I think that enhanced my enjoyment of it. Um, all the big spots that they did got good reactions. I just... I don't know. Part of part of my my uh, I wrote a bunch of question marks in my notes because I was just like, who is that Saburo guy? And also, what is going on in this match? Like, what is it for? I'm not I'm not sure. I totally understood what it was they were trying to do, but I mean, it was fun to watch nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it uh, for what it was. We'll move mm-hmm. on though, because Mima Shimoda defeated Bad Nurse Nakamura in 14 minutes and 21 seconds. In a case of, we have one lunatic from FMW and we have another lunatic from AJW. Let's see if we put them together. Let's see what happens. Because Mimi Shimoda was in a full LCO pomp at this particular point. If you want to learn more about the LCO, by the way, uh, Telling Stories last week, or the last two weeks, looked at the history of Los Kakaharas Orientales, the Oriental bitches, and we looked at the careers of them as a tag team. But Mimi Shimoda was badass. And Bad Shimoda was badass. So you get them together and something special could happen. And it certainly did in this match because they went everywhere. What are your thoughts on this one, Chelsea? This might be um, my favorite match on the card other than the main event. Uh, I love Mima Shimoda. She has that kind of like, I, I don't want to, I don't mean this in a bad way, but she has a, like an unrefined scrappy quality to her wrestling that I really, really like. Like you can tell that technically she knows what she's doing, but there's something about the way she moves that looks very wild and uncontrolled, even when she's doing things where you can tell that she has enough physical control to execute them safely. And it's really fun to watch because I feel like it makes her... Um, her wrestling character more believable. Like, it makes the effort she's putting in more impactful. Um, And so I I just, I always really, really enjoy her. And I don't know anything about Bad Nurse Nakamura other than that name is spectacular. Um, She she was really impressive to me here. And I went to her cage match page and somebody gave her a 2 out of 10 as a wrestler, which didn't seem fair to me at all. I thought she was... I mean, maybe maybe it's because Mima Shimoda was making her look amazing, but I thought she was great here. I thought she did a great job. Um, I really enjoyed 
some of the uh, crazy spots where they tossed each other around and found weird ways to get into arm bars. And there's <laughs> one moment, I think, where Bad Nurse Nakamura gets like her neck in the ropes and it's kind of brutal looking. And I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought this match was really fun. I think the crowd really connected with it. And I thought that you co- probably could have put those two in the main event on a card like this and everybody would have reacted to it even more. So I, I thought it was really fun. Yeah, oh, I- also, actually, you know what? I just Googled Bad Nurse Nakamura right before we started this. And um, she is a hotel manager in Osaka now. And if you find the reference for that on her Wikipedia page, you can see a picture of her in a Japanese newspaper article in her fancy hotel uniform (laughs) next to a picture of her in the white face paint and a wrestling entrance robe. And I recommend it. It's, it's a good time. (laughs) Oh, There was a good nurse Nakamura to start with. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was, she was kind of a portly lady in a jolly nurse kind of way. And she wore white with red uh, crosses on it, as you'd imagine the nurse would wear. And then mm-hmm. eventually there was a bad nurse Nakamura who is obviously quite slim and severe and face painted. She did have a big feud with Megumi Kudo over the women's championship, uh, which uh, developed the character of Cushing Kudo, I think it was, which is saying it was essentially you know, Kishin Liger, basically. Um, it was it was her metamorphosizing into this uh, badass uh, character, much like the great Muta kind of deal. And one of the one of the Muta descendants, uh, where she turned up and wrestled in a completely different style and beat Badness Nakamura. For, and I think it was the anniversary show five, I think. But yeah, now Badness Nakamura was a lot of fun. I enjoyed her work a lot, and I don't get why other people don't like her. I think it's just because she's kind of a screaming brawl merchant, but there's nothing wrong with that. Clearly, you know what happens on cage match sometimes is people will watch like one match on YouTube and sometimes it's from very early in a wrestler's career and then they'll give somebody a rating like they've seen a lot of their work. And if there's nothing to counterbalance that, you know, somebody who's actually really good will get like a zero. It's it's very annoying. Yes, it's yeah. What can you do? Bad Nose Nakamura, not all that bad. No, and also her name Her name made me think immediately of Shinsuke Nakamura in a nurse costume, which was a little confusing, um, but it was funny. <laughs> uh, yes, Ness, if you're listening, who does like that kind of thing, uh, I will I point that out to her. We can have a conversation, if you so wish, at some point in the future about that. Probably. Nice. Uh, me... <laughs> Mimi Shimoda, too, uh, one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, still is. Anyway, we'll move on to the semi-main event, which featured Keiro Nakayama and Yukiari Shikura, who were FMW rookies, who had signed on for the beating of a lifetime against Mad Dog <laughs> Military, Kurushi Matamori and Shark Sashia. Now, here's the thing, right? I thought, oh my god, they're going to get killed, because they're tiny. Yeah, well, they were. Fast for the first seven minutes. In fact, Matamori and Sashir basically just go out and go away with it. Uh, funnily enough, watched a match this morning with ELP and Taijimori versus uh, Tiger Mask and Nuimura, which was essentially mm. this match, this, this format of match. Rookie trying really hard, nearly getting there, but not quite making it. And even ELP and Ishimori had to give him a clap and walked off at the end, like, well, you nearly got us. You know, so mm. this. this 
this match story still sells. And Nakayama and Ishikura really did push really, really hard. And it was it was a joy to watch them wrestle this particular match because they nearly got Sakura Manamori and the crowd was so into us towards the end. The near yeah. falls really got them. Yeah. I um I enjoyed this. Uh for much the same reason that you said that that format is really compelling. Um, I always feel bad when you see the baby faces who have just like done all the cardio in the world to try <laughs> to, uh, to try to, you know, win this thing right away before your opponent can really get going. And then they just get steamrollered. And um, I like uh, my Domari, I think is how you say it. My Domari and Shark Suchia working together as a team. Um, every time they hot tagged each other, I was like, oh boy, somebody is going to die. Um, <laughs> uh, they're both they're both very charismatic. And I also, I appreciated that um, their, their styles are not at all interchangeable, despite the fact that they have a similar body type and a similar yeah. aesthetic. They're still very defined in their, in how, in how they come across. And um, sorry, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not putting my finger on it exactly, but I appreciated that because there are too many modern day matches, I think, with bigger bodied women in them, where those women get booked to behave pretty much the same way by a producer who just doesn't really understand what makes them special. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a little irritating. So I like the fact that there are lots of women in this era who have that kind of body type who are able to distinguish themselves and that stood out in this match for me i, I think it, i think it boils down to like the one-dimensional thinking about pro wrestling that we've had for so long like certain people are supposed to do things a certain way like and you know and it comes down to like vince mcmahon senior who was a wrestling booking genius. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. You know, he made more money than anyone else did in his era by a long way. And, mm -hmm. he, and he was the guy that told Andre, don't be a mat wrestler. You have no need to be a mat wrestler. Don't leave your feet. You know, yeah. do the minimum, get the maximum. And that was perfect for Andre in that time period. Yep. And every monster since has had variations upon that thing. But when you've got two or three people in the same promotion, it doesn't work. Because you just got two or three lumpy people. And that doesn't, right. it's not interesting. You know, it's not, it's no longer the uniqueness of Andre and then, you know, the monsters that followed him, like Earthquake or Big Bam, Big, Bam, Bam Bigelow or Big Van Vader. Right. They all put twists on that formula, but essentially it was the same formula that Andre milked for 20 years and made more money than anyone ever has done at the time. Mm -hmm. But it just, but the reason why is because he was frigging Andre and there was only one. And when you've got four or five people who are kind of the same, it doesn't work, does it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, not to say that Andre and Vince were wrong. They were perfectly correct to do what they did, but it just doesn't stay the same. This, this is the thing I'm thinking the argument we get with, like, ruining the business. Da -da 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 -da. It's the, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, by the way, Catch Wrestling put out uh, something on Twitter today about, I can't remember one of the early pro wrestlers complaining about people using toe holds in 1921. <laughs> Frank Gotch uses a toe hold and it's just wrong, damn it. 
where's the skill in that? And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> whoever whoever came up with that, if they somehow could see Zack Sabre Jr. in action, their their brain would explode. <laughs> it's like, they don't have to do anything these days to win a professional wrestling match. And it's like, that we've been having this argument literally for a hundred years now. And it, and, <laughs> and it never changes. It never stops. It never goes no, away. It never goes away. It's the same that like, in 20 years time, somebody's just <laughs> complaining about the fact that there was only one Canadian destroyer in the match. What were they thinking? There should be 14. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> but it is just like, I think the, um, that kind of like that mentality of you only have one thing of one thing, which is fine. But if you're trying to yeah. produce a wrestling show that reaches as many dynamics as possible and connects with as many different people as possible, you just can't have one thing or one thing. Yeah. Like yep. I watched an old IWC tape back when I first, me and my dad used to buy up every wrestling tape we could find. We found hmm. an IWC tape from the 1970s. Luthez was on it, IWA. And Mil Mascris was the big draw. But you could see there was a catalogue of wrestlers that they needed. We need a Texan who has a bulldog finisher. We need a Lucha Libre star. We need a technical right. wrestler. We need a big guy. We need a brawler. We need this. And it's and it's work. I mean, NWA have done exactly the same thing, and that's perfectly fine because that's exactly the aesthetic they're trying to get. Um, but, you know, it's very much like you can't run a wrestling company like that anymore because your audience is far bigger. And it's interesting that, again, FMW sets the pace for this. You know, we were still meeting yeah. John with about this last week about uh like the 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 blueprint that fnw was for so many wrestling promotions and still is you know when you look back at it now you can actually see a little bit of AEW in this because they're trying to present oh yeah different characters in a very different way and it's not blood and guile yeah well there is blood and violence on gore and AEW, but there is it's kind of a similar kind of thing going on here right yeah no absolutely i feel like i feel like FMW is the blueprint for a lot of the things that, I mean, we've talked about this before, how it's the blueprint for a lot of things that American wrestling fans liked in the, in the nineties that they didn't necessarily connect consciously to what was going on in Japan, but it was obviously the template that established a lot of what happened after. And for sure, I have watched AEW matches before and had that thought of like, wow, you know, I can see a little of Onita's handiwork in there. Definitely. And uh, this, and, Bear in mind that women got treated far better in FMW than they did in ECW. And were far better represented. So, you know. They're better represented than they are in AEW, despite the fact that AEW has so many incredible women that work for them. Yes. It's just And then they let them have dark matches on YouTube instead of letting them have nice matches on their shows. Yes, because they don't know what to do with them. And they haven't got a clear vision of what he wants yet. But anywho, that's the story for another day. Um, the main event then was Chigusa Nagayo and Combat Toyota versus Keiru and Megumi Kudo. So this was kind of like older race, even though they weren't that much older. The the big bruisers versus big bruiser aces versus the young athletic aces is probably the best way of putting about it. Twenty two yep. minutes nineteen seconds between some friends having a nice friendly wrestling match of a <laughs> sedate Thursday afternoon in Osaka. As you would kind of think, because they were all on the same page, they're all baby faces, they're all mates, and they shake hands, and then they set to and try and destroy each other in 22 minutes and 19 seconds. Oh, was... yes. <laughs> yeah. Because we're not going to not try. <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta make the audience feel like they got their money's worth. Yeah, and you know, if there's four wrestlers who can make you feel like you got your money's worth, it was these four. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, 
Kudo and Kairu are absolutely technical brilliance in this match. It's a well-paced, strategic pro wrestling match. And it's an FMW main event with no stipulations and no furniture, no toys to play with. It's a straight-up pro wrestling match. A little yep. bit of brawl on the outside, a few chair shots here and there, but actually just a straight up and down pro wrestling match. Because all four of these, since this time, have been very capable of bringing the violence. In fact, Kairu oh, yes. <laughs> have made a career since then of bringing this violence. So it was really interesting to me to see them, like, Toyota and Kudo kind of showed them the way, and then mm. they became violence merchants later in their careers. Kairu, especially, her tag team with Dash Sarko is violence on wheels. So it's uh, it's it's really interesting to me to see how see how this played out and how it influenced the two other wrestlers in the match. Mm. What are your thoughts on it? I I really enjoyed this. Um, there is something for everybody in this match. It is everything and the kitchen sink. Um, I in particular I love Kaoru. Uh, she is completely fearless. Um, she has no qualms about throwing her body off the top rope or at somebody like she's a speeding train and it is so much fun to watch. It is really exciting. Um, I loved all the moments where Kudo and Toyota worked together because they have that lovely synergy of people who've wrestled each other millions of times where they just know what the other person's going to do. Um, and I also love the moments where Kudo and Nagayo get into it. Because I know that Nagayo is more versatile than what you typically see from her when she's not in an arena for a company that she runs. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like she kind of often narrows down what she presents to you to um, make it so that, I mean, you know, she's still, she's Chigusa Nagayo wherever she is, but she doesn't always need to prove anything to you. And there are some moments in this match where, in particular, a lot of the technical stuff she gets into with Kudo, where um, you you can really forget that Nagayo is the is able to do that kind of mat wrestling, and I it got my blood up. Like I was really excited watching. Like in particular, there's this one spot where Nagayo goes to pick Kudo up for some kind of suplex. And Kudo gets over her shoulder, gets down, and slams her onto the ground in an armbar. And there's no way to predict that any of that stuff is going to happen when the spot starts. Like, it's just so cool. It doesn't look like anything else I've seen in any other match that Nagayo is in. And it's, it doesn't look like work for her. She makes everything look so easy. And Kudo looks like such a badass because she's so determined... And she's so, like, she's not afraid to be vicious, but it doesn't really have a, a meanness to it, you know? Like, you still, you st- she's got that eternal baby face quality where you just root for her even when she's kicking somebody in the stomach. Um, but uh, I just, I really appreciated seeing the chemistry that she had with Nagayo because I feel like it brought out stuff from Nagayo that I just, I almost never get to see. And Kudo still maintains that like perfect sweetheart baby face thing while also beating the crap out of somebody twice her size. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal match to watch. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's a house show. They're not pulling out all the stops. And obviously there's a level the FMW that can go a step or two further than this, but it's just so well put together. It's four professional wrestlers who 
have honed their craft. It's 1998. Kaya Roo's had 10 years under her belt. She's no spring chicken by any stretch of the imagination already at this point. You know, she's, yeah. She knows what she's doing as a professional wrestler. She was a big draw in CMLL. She was a big draw for AJW. Come back to Iona and Mijimi Kudo. The thing that kind of strikes me is they're all former AJW wrestlers. They all have a camaraderie. Mm. Having left the company, there's a certain kind of like, we can do this without them kind of feel to them. And it kind of bleeds through into what they do as professional wrestlers. I really enjoy that. But also, mm. it's, it's just good. It's just quality. It's, it's just really good. It's just really, really good. Like, if you yeah. skip the rest of this card, and you shouldn't because it's enjoyable. You should you should find it on YouTube and watch the whole thing. But if you skip the rest of this card, you should watch this match because it's just really fun. Yeah, it's just four people enjoying themselves. Having yeah. a wrestling in a big-ish crowd, so it's fun. There's enough to get a good reaction from it. But they're not having to kill themselves. It's kind of a night off. But they're doing their thing really, really well. And just like, a, like I said, like a Timex, a Rolex kind of match. Like, really well made. Going to stand the test of time. And that yes. really shows they're going. So, that's that card. Like I said, it's from the 4th of April. It's an FMW card. It's called uh, FMW Yamamoto Nadeshiko 3. And you can find it on YouTube. It'll be on the playlist that we're going to put Megumi, Megumi Kudo matches on. Now, since the last time we talked about Megumi Kudo, she'd wrestled Combat Toyota in Combat Toyota's retirement match. And obviously, Atsushi Anita had retired. And there was a need in FMW to create as many different draws as possible because, you know, you can't just put it, pin it on Hayabusa and hope it all works, which is really what, the, what they were trying to do. Um, and we, I looked at this playlist and put together uh, a bunch of matches that were um, available for you to watch and I could find on YouTube. But the ones we highlighted are the AJW title match, the WWWA championship match against Ajikon, which we'll talk about, and the retirement from Sarts this year. But it's amazing how many dream matches she has in this time period. Probably the most famous one to kick things off was the match that she has with... Uh, Shinobi Kandori, which is an absolutely brutal barbed wire match. Kandori comes to the ring dressed in a suit and proceeds to snip open the barbed wire so she's got something to strangle Kudo with. Um, and then they move on from there, and there is another dream match between her and Mayumi Ozaki, which is just insane. You know, it's a barbed wire boards match, and Ozaki and her have perhaps the best technical hardcore match you'll ever see because they're both dream level professional wrestlers. And they are still willing to drop themselves in the barbed wire if they need to. Um, and that, that's another match you should really go see. But the most brutal one I saw of the dream matches in this period was the first match with Sharks this year at Currican Hall in a bar no-rope barbed wire match. It was so grim that it's even grimmer than the, the, fire, the, the exploding barbed wire match they have at Kudo's retirement. And there literally is blood everywhere. And at the end of the match, Kandori comes down to the ring and bangs on the ring and tells Kudo to get up because she's still one of the best wrestlers she's ever had. And it's, it's that kind of storytelling and that sisterhood and that camaraderie which holds FMW women's wrestling together. What's your mm -hmm. thoughts before we go into these last two matches about that FMW vision that Kudo made? Mm. I have to put my finger on it. So um, this match was... It, it is a little hard for me to watch because um, Kudo takes a bump into barbed wire face first. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think if we're talking about 
if we're talking about FMW and the the template that Kudo established there, I don't know, James. Sorry, I'm having a hard time articulating it. It's <laughs> it's just it's really interesting, I guess, to see the sort of like if I if I think about FMW as a whole, and I think about Onita's. Um, death matches that he had before either his first or his second retirement, I guess. Um, he has a lot of those matches where the person he's wrestling is, you know, like where the wrestling itself isn't really the point. There's not really a lot of like technical wrestling in there. The whole point is that it's very dramatic and very emotional and it tells you a story and it takes you on a roller coaster and keeps your attention the whole time because it's so violent and because it's suspenseful. And it's fascinating to see a lot of those qualities carried on by women who have this incredible technical wrestling background trained by probably the best technical wrestling trainer of all time. Like if you ever Googled Jaguar Yakota and you look at her list of wrestlers trained, it's probably the most impressive list of wrestlers anyone's ever trained ever in a career like it's insane um and it's really interesting seeing the fusion of those styles where it's not like you ever forget that it's women's wrestling but there's an absence of the there's an absence of the baggage that a lot of women's wrestling has for me in this era from other companies you know, like if I, this match takes place in like what, 90, is it 96, 97? Yeah, yeah, 96, yeah. Like I think about what was going on in 1996 in what I've seen from WWF and what I've seen, or were they WWE at that point? I don't even know. Um, WWF. Yeah, and what I've seen in WCW. And there's, I maybe because I'm watching wrestling and it comes from another culture. So the baggage, if there is some, isn't going to be the same as like my baggage that I have when I watch something that comes from my own culture. But there's, I don't know. There's something that's heavy about watching a lot of wrestling that comes from other promotions in this era for me, where I watch it and I just feel um, like I kind of want to fight the people <laughs> who created it because I feel like they don't understand what they have. They don't appreciate their female talents. They don't really let them do what they're best at. You know, they want to fit them into a, uh, either like a Victoria's Secret model kind of aesthetic or like, you know, you're the girls who can actually wrestle. So it's your job to put on the the you know the sexy outfit that you look like you're uncomfortable in and beat the crap out of that girl who's had like five months of wrestling training you know like there's this this oh i don't know something kind of gross about that to me and this doesn't have any of that at all fmw never ever ever makes me feel that way and that's not to say that like we were saying before obviously they made a lot of money off the fact that they had like hot babes who worked there and Megumi Kudo was you know probably like I mean there's a reason they call her what like a hardcore sweetheart hardcore heartthrob something like that um she you know she was was still is a beautiful woman um but there's it doesn't feel like anything about her 
like I said before earlier, like it doesn't feel manufactured. It feels so genuine to her and what she's able to do artistically feels so genuine to her. And I feel like that's true of a lot of the other women in that promotion too, is they're able to be themselves perhaps in a way that they probably wouldn't have been in other wrestling companies that had the same draw. Um, and I think that's one of the things that feels really unique about it to me when I watch it. Like I never watch it and think about, oh, this is a man who made all the booking decisions. I never ever have that thought, even though like, you know, I, you know that there's a man who made all the booking decisions. <laughs> um, I, does that make sense? Am I explaining myself well enough? It seems when you look at JWA, AJW rather, there is mm -hmm. definitely a sense of girls being allowed to play in the boys' backyard. Yep. And when you look at JWP, there isn't because you know that it's an entirely female-led promotion. LLPW and JWP had female management who were female promotions. And yep. FMW feels like that, but you know Anita's in charge. Anita yep. has kind of tuned into the what makes things acceptable for a female wrestling promotion much better, even than the Matsunaga brothers who were geniuses at it. But they never yeah. quite got the, you know, <clears throat> they never quite got the female angle necessarily the way they should have done. Yeah, yeah, but I I totally I agree. And like, there's a the baggage I was talking about before. I feel that baggage when I watch Stardom now. In yes. 2020 i it's 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 everywhere and not just because of whatever i know about the backstage politics before i knew anything about any of the backstage politics and stardom and what made who retire and why a certain wrestler was or wasn't pushed reportedly it still feels very much like here's a bunch of beautiful badass women in costumes that were picked out for them by men doing sexy photo shoots that were picked out as like we're going to put you in the swimsuit calendar this year and i think fmw had some of their ladies do some of those cheesecakey photo shoots and maybe it's just because it was more tame in that time i don't know but it's still when you watch them when you watch them wrestle it never feels to me that way it 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 really feels like the women are able to have their own unique presence in the product and um it no, just it it, yeah. it doesn't push those buttons for me where I have that, like the, the feeling of, Oh, there's a, there's a gross sexist thing here that I have to just pretend to ignore while I watch this. Like <laughs> I never feel that way. I just, I just get to enjoy it. It's really nice. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think, I think in the modern era, like Sendai girls and Oz Academy and JWP or JPR as is now, they don't have that baggage because they have female management and, you know, there are like there are some really good looking women on Oz Academy who use sexuality to the utmost, you know, sure. all the time. And probably do do uh Ikurashida does has certainly done like, you know, pinup posters and cheesecake stuff in the past. It doesn't yep. detract from the experience you have watching Ikurashida or right. any of the girls in, in that but whereas in AJW it kinda got in the way. Yeah. It's, you so, know what it is? It's agency. That's the word I've been trying to find for like 10 minutes. Yeah. It's agency. The women have agency in FMW in a way that they should have in every wrestling promotion that asks women to put their bodies on the line doing anything like close to this dangerous or really anything. Women should be allowed to have 
as the same level of creative control and freedom that the men are allowed to have, but we know that they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Right, then, let's get to our two main event matches for this particular podcast, Jack. Let's first of all talk about the Ajikon match. Now, uh, around about this time period of this particular card, uh, Ajikon defended the WWWA Championship, AJW's top and biggest championship, against Megumi Kudo on a dream, in a dream match on a big show. And Kudo owned Aja Kong for 20 minutes. Everything that Kong had, Kudo had an answer for. She grounded her. She had everything going her way, but lost the match after five spinning back fists. And normally it only took two. Mm-hmm. It was an incredibly giving performance from Aja Kong. Let's put that out there first of all. And they are old friends. They did go to the dojo together. So they'd literally been to hell and back together. So it was no yeah. wonder Kong wanted to do her a favor. But it made Kudo such a big star in the Joshi world. It helped out FMW. And it's no surprise that Aja Kong went and did a bunch of guest slots for FMW after she lost the title. But this was mm-hmm. just such a different match to watch kong in because she was in her imperious phase this was her unbeatable phase and uh and she nearly gets beaten (laughs) yeah what did you think of this matchup oh it's so good um it's i had to take a break in the middle of it and just like take a deep breath and then unpause it and watch the rest of it because it was your heart races while you watch it um I I love seeing Aja Kong have to push herself to try to um, do things that you normally don't get to see her do. So there's a little bit of mat wrestling in there. There are some of the kind of top rope spots that she really only does in big matches. Um, like there's a there's a Steiner in there that the crowd goes nuts for. That is just um, so much fun. <laughs> and um, it's... It is, you're right when you say it's generous. Like it is, it is so generous of her to have had this match in a time when she was so, uh, so popular and so undefeatable. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like part of the problem I have when I watch Aja Kong matches from this period is that on some level in my head, I often compare them to her most famous matches with Minami Toyota, which is not fair. Right. Like it's not it's not really fair to anybody else to do that. Um, A lot of times when I when I think of things in that context, I sort of realize that I'm shorting what it is I'm watching in front of me. But I didn't really have to do that with this match. And it's not like Kudo resembles Toyota really at all in how she goes about things like her style is very. I mean, she's a Technica trained in the same dojo, but her style is very different visually. And she she still manages to have a match where she gets to show off, like, so much of her range. Where there are moments where Aja Kong and Aja Kong's emotional reactions to things almost disappears into the background for me and I'm just so focused on Kudo and her struggle and what she's going through and that almost never happens when you're watching Aja fucking Kong like (laughs) you know (laughs) Aja Kong is such a is such a singular presence and has so much personality so um I I love this match it's fantastic I wish I watched it sooner I feel like I understand both of those women better as wrestlers because I watched it um 
it's just, it's really interesting when you watch wrestlers you've seen a whole bunch of, and then you see something where you realize they had dimensions you didn't know they were capable of. And that's what I got out of this match was I didn't know Aja Kong could, I knew she could put people over even if she beat them, but I didn't know she could do that thing where she would make you take your eyes off of her and just focus on her opponent. I didn't really get that about her before somehow. And I get it now. And I'm really impressed. And Megumi Kudo watching her get herself over with that crowd by, I mean, really just throwing everything she has from the minute that they start um, was really, really interesting because she does not need any of the hardcore deathmatch stuff to be the babyface champion that you root for even when the odds are stacked against her. Like, she can have an incredible barbed wire match, but she doesn't need barbed wire to do it. She she has that charisma and that determination and that fierceness anyway. And that was it was really, really cool to to see that. I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, it, it's just stunning. Absolutely stunning. It's one of Kong's best performances, but it's kudos probably probably I think Kudo's best straight wrestling performance I've ever seen. She's just so dominant. She just works so hard to make this all fit together. And there's yeah. a certain sense, I made it. They told me I wasn't good enough, and I really, really was. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because normally that feeling of, like, they told me I wasn't good enough and I'm going to show them, screw them, is a thing I get from a lot of Aja Kong's big matches in this period. Yeah. And it was interesting seeing her sort of like allow somebody else to have that feeling. I mean, she was the champion at the time. So I'm sure there was less tension there. It was less fraught for her than it was in prior points in her career. But it was still, it, it still really surprised me. Um, I, you're right. Like, I think Kudo, Kudo looks like such a star in this match. And it was interesting seeing somebody in a match who was angrier than Aja Khan. okay then the next match we're going to talk about was Megumi Kudo's retirement match it was at Yokohama Arena the home of Joshi in Japan where AJW did their big shows it was the anniversary show Kawasaki Baseball Stadium was going under a renovation so they went to Yokohama for a change and Megumi Kudo and Sharks this year put 14,500 people into Yokohama Arena for the biggest ever card headlined by two women on a mixed gender show up until WrestleMania last year. That's wow. how long. You know, 14, wow, 000, I didn't know that. Yeah, 14,000 people headlined by women on a mixed gender show. And it was Sharks Yusia versus Mikumi Kudo for the WWA, sorry, WWA and our Independent Women's World Wrestling Championships. And this was an absolute barnstormer. And it was violent and beautiful. And it showed what great heel Sashia was. But also, it really was a well-told, long-planned story. Like I said, it went back to Currican Hall maybe two years before. There was all sorts of ups and downs. And Sashia turned on, turned babyface at one point and joined Kudo, then turned back heel again. They laid the plan for this over a two-year period. And it was the most thrilling feuds in Japanese wrestling at the time. And they mm. have what? match they have to the retirement and obviously kudos going out there knowing it's going to be her last match and she does lay it all on the line i think this may be the best of the hardcore matches though i think 
Combat Toyota purely but more on experience and skill probably gives uh, more a better well-rounded performance, but this is certainly a more emotional match. I'm I'm kind of torn. I, I love Kudo versus Toyota as the main event, probably the best hardcore match I ever saw. But this one has a special place in my heart because it's Kudo and because I like Shark so much. And you know, yeah, she, it's a place where she really got to shine in this hardcore environment. What are your thoughts on this match, Chelsea? Ooh, this is a roller coaster. Um, it it makes it's it makes you have all of the feelings um, sometimes at once. Uh, this is probably my favorite thing I've ever seen from Shark Tsuchiya, who I feel like gets overlooked a lot, unfortunately, because there are so many other big charismatic stars in FMW, and um, it feels it feels very fitting as an end for kudo although of course you know it's hard to watch this and not feel like no don't retire wrestle forever um but man there are so many rough spots in this match um kudo gets barbed wire in the face there are some incredible sequences where they trade counters that are so breathless and exhilarating that you forget that they're surrounded by barbed wire and then oh hey there's a there's a a few moments where you remember it like just before something happens and and then you have to cringe and watch something through your fingers as somebody uh takes a lot of damage um the power bomb into the exploding barricade is a lot <laughs> um i don't know it's hard it's hard because this kind of match is very emotional but i feel like because it's so violent i sort of reduce it to its parts when I'm thinking about it, which is probably not fair to it. Um, for me, I think the part that stands out the most in my memory, because partly because this is just so long, it's like it's 20 minutes, I think. Um, Kudo, at the end of it, has burns on her arms that are so bad. And both Onida and Hayabusa take off their shirts so that they can make dressings for her bleeding arms. Um, and, you know, she is, like, she has, she has water, um, all over her face after she, like, splashes herself with some of it, but she also has, like, sweat in her hair, and just, like, her hair is kind of matted in places because of the exertion of this match, and, and it is, it is very dramatic, and there is a lot of crying, <laughs> and, yeah. um, I don't know, there's... I did enjoy this match, but there's something here that's missing for me compared to her matches with Combat Toyota, and I can't really quite put my finger on it. I don't know if it's just that, like you were saying, Toyota is a more well-rounded performer than Shark Tsuchiya, maybe, or if it's that maybe it's because it's, it's Kudo's last match, and I sort of feel like there was something I was expecting that I didn't get. I don't know. I, I had some question marks in my notes about that because I feel like there was something, there was just something kind of missing for me. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, they're both great and it's a great performance. It's a great wrestling match, and especially in that environment, which is just so hard to do well, you know, and yeah. they carried it. It was better than Tenru versus Anita. It was better than some of the matches that Anita had, certainly. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, I think, I know, I mean, there was a camaraderie between Combat and Kudo, no matter when you saw them wrestle, who was face, who was heel, it was always something special. It's that Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid thing, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. 
Tiger Mask versus anyone is great, but against Dynamite, he's just superb. And yep. Dynamite versus anyone is great, but against Tiger Mask, he's just on another level. You know, he's yeah. all, they were all, yeah. there was always this feeling they were waiting until they could wrestle each other again. It was the perfect marriage. And I get that same mm-hmm. feeling with these two. They are best friends. And, you know, if you watch the history videos of the FMW stuff, you can see that afterwards they, when Combat had been retired for a couple of years and she was starting to make history videos of what she'd done in her career, they're so close and they're such good friends and they've had this sister. And I think that Shark was, I think Shark had some of that spark because she was part of that FMW tradition, but I think she wasn't quite the way she just and it's not a fault she can't help it it's just the way it is and it was sure she was, she was still brilliant but it was just she plays more like a one-dimensional evil bad guy in this match i think and with toyota kudo you have that history and you have that synergy and you have that like wrestling soulmates thing that yeah. means that there's some kind of warmth and friendliness in there in their physicality that is kind of missing with kudo and shark i mean it's a great I feel bad talking crap about it because it's a great match and it is so brutal. My God, like they both, they both put so much effort into it. It's amazing. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it didn't just make me sad because Kuda was retiring. I was just kind of, I don't know. Some part of me is sad that her retirement match was with somebody other than combat Toyota, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I think she wasn't ready. You know, I think she wasn't ready back. And she, a year later she was, and it was the, the right time to go out whilst she was the biggest star in the company essentially and she got the yeah. biggest so i think it was the yeah. right decision business-wise and the right decision for her personally of course that Megumi makes Kudo, sense. of course megumi kudo went on to marry bad boy hido and we have a happy happy retirement but she still pops up from time to time at wrestling events all over the world and especially in japan thank you very much for listening today we appreciate your uh listening ears i'd like to thank chelsea spollen for giving us this wonderful roundup of the kudo special oh well thank you so much for having me this was really fun it was it's one of the best ones we've done in a while i've really enjoyed it and uh, the beginner's guide 51st we go into our second half of the century can you remember back when we started on the- <laughs> oh my guide. god that was was that like five years ago or four years ago so three years ago i think we've done about 50 episodes in three years and then wow. yeah you know it's just like, and Spindler said, oh, you'll never cover everything. Well, we're giving it our best shot. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try, damn it. Good to try, damn it, yes. Uh, but thank you very much for listening to the Beginner's Guide to Japanese Wrestling. You can find Chelsea at Panels and Pros on Twitter. Is there yep. anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, not at the moment. Maybe next time. Okay. You're working on some things. Are there irons in the fire? There are a few, yes. I, uh, I'm, I'm toying with starting a YouTube channel, which may or may not have something to do with wrestling. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, we'll look forward to that. You can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter. You can find um, the show, Troopany Show, on Twitter, and you can find us on um, Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever. For everyone, you can also find us on Facebook. Go have a look at our sponsors in the Empire Magazine, and of course, powerslam.tv our partners where you can get a free month when you use the code mulletwatch thank you for listening today still makes you laugh it does yeah it's great it is isn't it it's the best thing i came up with in my entire wrestling journalism career what do you, we need a code for this mulletwatch there you go perfect makes us laugh every time uh thank you for listening today where was i yes this week we will be having more telling stories continuing the stories of the forgotten tag teams i'm not sure which one i'll pick this time 
It might be something a bit different. We've had the Royal Brothers, we've had the LCO, we've had Doc and Gordy. Hard to think of somebody else. But anyway, that'll happen later in the week. In the meantime, enjoy some wrestling. We'll be back next week. We'll look at New Japan New Beginnings, and we'll be looking at Suzuki versus John Moxley, which should be interesting, to say the least. But not as scary as Mimi Shimoda versus Bad Nurse Nakamura. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye! Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.